I would like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31. This will be our final week in Proverbs. Chapter 31. Have you ever tried to figure out God's will for your life? It could be a hard question to answer and one that people really can agonize over, right? So what does God want me to do? What job does He want me to have? Who does He want me to marry? Where does He want me to go to college? Sometimes uh, in trying to answer this question, we get really, really desperate. Uh, David Platt uh, once uh, joked that we try to figure out God's will like this, this college kid on, co- on a college campus walking around kicking a red coat can. And he's kicking the coat, coat can, wondering what God's will is for his life. And he looks up and he sees a girl wearing red. Red coat can. Red shirt. God wants me to marry her. Obviously. So, it's not an easy thing, right, when you're preaching for the first time. You not only have the pressure of preaching and learning how to preach, but you have like this adrenaline and this nervousness about being in front of all these people. And, and you still have to figure out what you're going to preach. So I, one of my, it's like my second, third time preaching ever. I was 17 years old and I agonized, uh, over what I was going to preach at my home church in Mississippi. Just agonized over it. And, and I, I probably spent three days just trying to figure out what in the world I was going to preach. And so I'm just sitting there in my room, window, the blinds are open and everything, and I'm just on my knees praying, God, just show me what you want to preach. Show me what you want me to preach. So I get done praying, and I'm, I'm like trying to like cry, you know, to be like extra earnest about it. And I look out the window, and there's a cloud shaped just like a sea. It was obvious. First Corinthians. I wonder now, why not 2 Corinthians or Colossians or 1 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles or, or why not the crucifixion or what about, what if he wanted me to preach on the centurion? I don't know, I just saw a big C in the clouds. So, we make these examples, right? We make God's will, trying to figure out, trying to be like this grand, awesome, complicated thing and Asking those questions, right, are really important. We shouldn't not ask those questions and wonder and pray about them. Yes, pray about them. Ask God to help you. But usually God doesn't give us a sign. He doesn't give us answers with fireworks. He doesn't put seas in clouds. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 maybe He does, right? He did, I do not believe that was actual sea. Okay, let me get that across. I think it's actually really simple. What he wants is for us to live day by day in faith, trust, and obedience. Trust God will lead you, but all the while do what he has asked you to do in Scripture. If I were going to tell my 17-year-old self, what does God want me to preach? Pick your favorite spot in Scripture and preach that. It's simple. And so today, I want to help answer the question... What is God's will for my life? But I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I want to answer that question by asking, what does God want me to care about? What is God's will for my life? I want to answer that by answer, 
by asking this question, what does God want me to care about? What has he asked me to do? What has he asked us to do? And, and today, I'm not going to give the whole answer. It's certainly not the whole answer, but it's definitely part of it. And, and that answer is found in chapter 31 of Proverbs. This is the culmination, last chapter, climax of Proverbs. All of Proverbs is built up to this last final moment. And we've covered a lot of topics in Proverbs, right? Certainly not all of them. We, we could spend a lot longer uh, covering topics in Proverbs. But I think what we've covered offers a good framework, right, for understanding Proverbs and, and finding wisdom in Proverbs. And so, at the end of all of this, after everything we've seen, the topics we've covered, the wisdom that's been offered, everything that we've seen, what is the climax? What does wisdom lead to? What does God want us to care about at the end of the day? At the culmination of wisdom. Let's read chapter 31 and find out. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her, house, her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. What does God want us to care about? The final word of Proverbs. Proverbs teaches us to care about two things. First, the welfare of our neighbor. Look, look at verse 1 with me. 
the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Who is Lemuel? I don't know. He's not found anywhere else in Scripture, uh, but he's likely some chieftain of a tribe. Uh, and, and what's important, though, is not necessarily Lemuel's identity, but the fact that this is an oracle his mother taught him. And this puts a whole new dynamic on the chapter, right? Coming from the perspective of a mother. Because one, of how it frames what chapter 31 talks about. The last and climactic chapter of Proverbs is given with the care and attention of a mother. No one packs as good a lunch as mom. But secondly... This follows repeated admonitions and proverbs to listen to who? To listen carefully to your mother's instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Chapter 1, verse 8. My son, keep your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 6, verse 20. We haven't talked about it much. We've certainly mentioned it and emphasized it some, but listening to mom is a key part of obtaining and walking in wisdom. Obeying God. If you're a kid or a teenager in this room today and you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, listening to mom is central to your obedience to Christ. This care and this attention are seen in this build-up that we see in verse 2. What are you doing, my son? And she adds on to that. What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? My son, son of my womb, son of my vows. It's like this increasing intensity. And these words are used to express like her devotion to her son and the deep level of care she has for him. And so if we're parents, let us care deeply about the obedience and repentance and faith of our kids that this mother shows for her son. And remember, remember, this is, this is poetry. Right, So in a poetic way, this mother is getting to the heart of wisdom. How it comes out in action. Right, What are you doing? She's concerned with the action of her son. So anytime Mallory and I are listening to a sermon together, whenever that happens, or in a Bible study, and someone says, okay, open your Bibles here, um, I feel like I'm in an unspoken race with her. She was a Bible driller, and I went to seminary. So we have to see who gets there fast. She gets there first, and Bible driller was free. So, what we want, right, is we uh, what we want both for ourselves and for Willa, right, is Bible knowledge, right? We want her to know her Bible well, but that's not all we want. Even though that's very important, what we really want is fruit. We want obedience. We want to see this Bible knowledge displayed. We want to see wisdom displayed. Much like this mother wants of her son. And so this mother, writing to Lemuel, right? she first cautions him against something. And mainly, if I can sum this up, it's a caution, a warning against pleasure. So verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Right? We've seen this in Proverbs already. Throughout Proverbs and Scripture, we're warned of the danger of seductive pleasure. 
right? True pleasure is found and enjoyed in its proper context, right? Sex in the context of marriage and food and drink in the context of self-control. Someone once said, freedom is, is hidden within boundaries, right? But, but we're warned over and over again of the seductive pleasure of going outside of those boundaries. So this mother is cautioning her son against chasing after pleasure particularly using his kingly status and power to obtain it. Right? There's a reason that David could get Bathsheba because he was the king and he had the power to do it. And the reason she cautions him against it is not just because these things are sin. The reason she cautions him against it is because it is going to distract him from something else. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not, not for kings to take strong drink. Why? Five, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Chasing after pleasure distracts from care for the needy. Distracts from the welfare of our neighbor. And that makes sense, right? When we're chasing after pleasure, we're preeminently concerned for ourselves and spending our resources on us. But Scripture puts a high demand on diverting our resources to build treasure in heaven, and that comes primarily through using them to care for our neighbor. That's what, that's what she means in verses 6 to 7. Right? Give strong drink to those, to the one who is perishing, and wine to the, those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. In other words, in other words, what she's saying is this, King Lemuel, don't use your power, don't use your status, and don't use your resources for yourself, for your own pleasure. Use them to remember and to lift up the poor and needy. If there's one thing that you get out of these verses, let it be that. Now, obviously, a lot can be said about the use of wine and alcohol. And, and some of you might read these verses and think, oh, I can just drink my sorrows away. And if that's what you come away with, you completely miss the point. And you show you're in love with sin. Alcohol here, suffice it to say that alcohol here functions mainly as a remedy. Okay, it functions as a remedy. So, World War II the first time the government diverted significant resources to air warfare, right? They had planes in World War I, but this, this is World War II. They decided this is how the war is going to be won. We're going to build up our air military. This is the name of the game. And because of that, they had a lot of young guys coming in who had never flown before in their lives, now engaged in dogfights 10,000 feet in the air. And when these guys get back, these young 17, 18-year-old guys get down from these planes engaging these dogfights, they land, they are shot with nerves and adrenaline. And so, to help them out, they give them a shot of whiskey. It's because their nerves are so severe. And so that's how similar to how alcohol is functioning here. Right? It's functioning as a remedy. So she's saying, don't do this. Right? Don't chase after pleasure. Don't spend resources on yourself. Instead, Spend your energy and use your attention for this. Verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute. 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. How do you judge righteously? Defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is what wisdom comes down to. It comes down to how we view and treat our neighbor. And love for neighbor, love for neighbor or your lack of it is most revealed in love for the least of these neighbors. Right? If you want to know how you really love your neighbor, see how you treat the least of these, the, the mute, the outcast, the forgotten, the demon possessed. This, this point, I, I want to emphasize this because it is so critical that Scripture teaches us that if what we like or what we enjoy interferes with proper care for our neighbor, we are obligated to give it up. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. 1 Corinthians 8.13 That's radical. Mal has been trying to get me to eat less meat for a long time. I'm like, I ain't doing it. I love eating meat. Paul says it gets in the way of me caring for my neighbor. I'm going to give it up. It's radical. And slavery, actually. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 9 to say this, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So how we view and treat our neighbor is a sign that we truly get wisdom. David Hubbard wrote, this describes a role that can draw out the very best in us. Not roles as hunters, tillers, smiths, captains of industry, dealers in commerce, purveyors of learning, but a role role that plumbs the depths of our humanity and teaches us who we really are and want to be. So, at the end of the day, what does God want us to care about? The welfare of our neighbor. What else would God have us care about? Secondly, the wholeness of womanhood. The wholeness of womanhood. This is hard for us. This concept is hard for us. And it would have been hard for the Israelites too because they and we occupy a culture that prizes masculine traits for good or ill. So in Israelite culture especially, right, you have this honor-shame culture. If you get insulted, you get even because someone insulting you is insulting your honor and you don't let your honor get insulted. And so to go against that would be to go against something that's deeply ingrained. But culture is made and society functions when we prize whole women. So why the focus on women? Why here at the end of Proverbs, why so much focus on women and wives and moms? This is the last and climactic chapter of Proverbs And the majority of this chapter is not focused on the son, which the rest of the book of Proverbs has been, but it's focused on a woman. Let me offer a few thoughts. First, I believe 
King Lemuel's mother is teaching about women because of the first part of chapter 31. So wisdom, right, we just saw is concerned with love for neighbor. And love for neighbor, right, is seen most clearly in our love for the least of these. As I just mentioned, women and womanhood are largely overlooked and ignored in culture. So if wisdom directs our concern to the least of these, then we should also be concerned how we view and treat the often mistreated women. It's how we treat the least of these and how we treat women that wisdom shines. That's first. Secondly, wisdom is related to, right? I mentioned this before. Wisdom is related to living in and ordering and ruling over God's creation. Right? Wisdom is filling God's design to subdue creation, to take order and control. Because of that, though, wisdom is also living in conflict with the curse. Wisdom means we're always rubbing rubbing up against the curse of Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, remember the consequence for Eve's disobedience? Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over him. Or your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The curse for sin in this instance is tilted relationships. So they're out of whack and disorder. Wisdom, and here in chapter 31, we see what it means to live in conflict with that curse. A woman's response to wisdom will undo the effects of Genesis chapter 3. But finally, so those are two thoughts. My third thought, why a woman... The woman in chapter 31 is the embodiment of, of woman wisdom. The woman wisdom that we saw all throughout Proverbs, right? This is the living example of what Solomon had been trying to get his son to obtain all along. Woman wisdom is not just an abstract concept, not just a metaphor, but a real person. She's the embodiment of woman wisdom. So, who is this Proverbs 31 woman? Right, be a Proverbs 31 woman. Go get wool and flax. Let's see. Let's walk through this. So he starts off in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. In other words, pause here. In other words, wholesome womanhood means she's not self-seeking. She's a cheerleader for other people and especially for her husband. Nobody wants to be Robin and Batman and Robin. Everybody wants to be Batman. People like Batman. Movies get made about Batman. He has a cool car. Wholesome womanhood is about not just letting people be Batman, but promoting them to be Batman. So she's not self-seeking. Look at uh, verses 13 and 19. She seeks wool and flax. And works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. And provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. 
Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Look particularly at verse 15. She provides. The husband isn't the only provider. But I hope what you have noticed about all of this is that this is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. And there's nothing like doing a lot of hard work and going unnoticed for it. Or carrying the majority of the load. I, I am very convinced that when you get to college, it's usually a terrible idea to live with your friends. Because one of you is going to end up doing the bulk of the chores while the other one is just going to sit back and reap the benefits. You know, someone's got to clean the dishes. Someone's got to, you know, buy groceries. Someone's got to do it. And usually it's just one person. But wholesome womanhood means she's not self-pitying. She doesn't grumble. She works willingly and, and diligently and hard. Verses 20 to 24, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. This is a lot like verses 1 to 9 because she's not self-serving. She's productive and diverts her resources to care for others. And then verses 25-27, Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This is really similar to verses 20-24, to 24, but I'm going to call this nourishment. Wholesome womanhood means she's not self-nourishing. She expends, not for expending sake, not to build a career. Pause there. It's okay for women to build a career. But if she expends, not just to expend, but for building sake, for building and raising up, nourishing. As a result, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's not a coincidence that Proverbs begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And here in 31.30, A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. God is a good author. He knows how to write a book. And what God wants for us, what He wants Proverbs to instill in us, what He wants us to care about, is the welfare of our neighbor and the wholeness of womanhood all fueled by the fear of the Lord. Love and worship of God. Driven by love for God. Driven by worship of Him. Our example here is Christ. 
Christ is the fulfillment of Proverbs 31. Christ fulfills humanity. He fulfills what it means to be a man, and He fulfills what it means to be a woman. Christ loved neighbor preeminently by stepping out of heaven to be with us, to redeem us. He used His resources as God to become a man and to die. God became a man, enslaved Himself to our sinful welfare, and died on our behalf. Christ was not self-seeking, but entirely others-seeking. All He did, He did for the good of others. He was not self-seeking, but wholly God-seeking and God-glorifying. Christ was never self-pitying. He never grumbled in hot, dry deserts when He had nothing to eat. Musty houses crowded with diseased, needy, crippled diseases demon-possessed people, surrounded constantly by slow-to-understand disciples. Christ was never self-serving, but always poured Himself out to serve others. Christ still does not serve Himself, but serves us day and night to bring us salvation, interceding for us. Christ was not and is not self-nourishing, He nourishes His church. His people. He teaches us. He leads us. He guides us. Sustains us. He nourishes our faith. The reason you want to be a spouse like this is because Christ is a spouse like this. Maybe you're a mom who has failed. A dad who has failed. Christ atones for failed moms and dads. He's a Savior for boys, for men, dads. He's a Savior for girls and women and moms. A whole Savior. Maybe you've never truly trusted in this Christ. Maybe you've never trusted in what He did for you on the cross. Today is the day. Repent and trust in Christ today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are a good spouse. You were a good spouse and You are a good spouse. We cheat on You a thousand times a day with our sin. You're nothing but good to us, and yet we still throw it back in your face, and yet you're still faithful to us. Every time our faith should fail, you're right there holding our faith. Every time we get mad at you when something doesn't go our way, or when we lose something, or when we lose someone, we get mad at you and blame you, you're there nourishing us. When we're lost, alone, failed, with us, interceding for us, serving us. You're a good spouse to your church, your people. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Proverbs. You have given us such a treasure in Your Word. You've given us the treasure of wisdom. 
Lord, give us wisdom to walk in obedience, to walk in the fear of Your name. And Lord, let us be concerned, preeminently concerned with the welfare of our neighbor and the wholeness of womanhood. That we would glorify Your name together. Lord Jesus, I pray that for those who do not know You as their spouse, for those that have not trusted You, for those that have not repented of their sin, Lord, I pray that You would convict them and lead them to repentance and faith. We lift all these things up to You in Your name. Amen.